Have you ever been stressed out? I mean, go ahead, raise your hands. It might feel better just to go, just admit it. Oh, I tell you what. Yeah, if you have kids, you've been stressed out. I tell you what, you know, uh, even as a pastor, it's like God gives me plenty of material for preaching, you know, each week. Um, last Wednesday, we were gone because we were on our way to a mad dash to Liberty, Missouri, about four hours away to get some office furniture for the new building and found a deal up there, couldn't pass up, and it was within... 30-minute drive of my wife's parents so the kids get to see the grand, uh, grandparents and all this. Well, I get a call on Wednesday during the day that I'd have an opportunity to speak at a church locally there that wanted to take up an offering for our church for the building project. And I said, can't pass that up, right? But that means we're leaving earlier. So I start scrambling, trying to get out the door. Uh, Belinda's trying to make me sit and have a sandwich with everybody at the project. I'm like, I don't have time. We get going. I had to go get uh, the trailer uh, and pick up and and my dad's truck that we were borrowing had a piece that needed to be put underneath. And I'm thinking, you know, if it just won't rain, because we're going to get rain today. It won't rain until we get going. Putting the piece on the bottle truck, here comes the rain. So now we're hooking up to that. But we're making time. And then we have a couple RV volunteers that are meeting us. They're, they were leaving to go visit family. So they're going to follow us. So they're here at the church. And we're barely getting there, like 15 minutes late. We're going to be on the road. And all of a sudden, the brake pedal starts going to the floor. No brakes. My dad's truck called dad. I was like, I, I'm going to have to bring the truck back. We're here trying to figure out what to do and uh, call the rental places. No, you can't tow anything with the rental trucks. And called U-Haul. It was going to be like 400 and some dollars just for a one-way thing. And then the kids couldn't go because there'd be no space in the U-Haul truck on the way back. What do we do? Find out my brother's truck is, is available. He's flown out. And uh, I'm sorry I'm going to talk about your truck a little bit here. But, he, you know, so anyway, he says, you can borrow it. It's at long-term parking at the airport. I said, Okay. Sent Jen and uh, Sister Trimmel to their house to get the key. I take my dad's truck. We limp it back to his place. We get unhooked, ready. Plan is they come back to his house with the key. We go to the airport, which is four miles away, get his truck out of Long Perm Park and come back. We all get in. We hook up. We go, right? It's raining. We finally get it. And and my brother's like, oh, by the way, here's the list of things that don't work on the truck, right? We all got them, right? We've got them. If you're not, unless you're paying that big payment, for a new vehicle, you got that list. And so we're working through that. So we're on the road, and I mean, I'm just stressed out. And we get closer to Joplin. I said, listen, I know we're in a rush to get there. It's three hours later. We missed the opportunity for that church service anyway. Let's go to a sit-down restaurant and just relax and catch a breath. And then somehow in the transition, the Trimmels missed the exit, and they're going on. So the kids and all are sitting in the restaurant. I said, let's go. We're not eating here. And we <laughs> go through the drive-thru, right? We get in at like 10.30 at night at our parents. We got to be up the next morning and get the stuff and just stressed out, right? And we all have those stories, stressed out. And, and really, it, for me, so a lot of times it starts with just unrealistic expectations of trying to do something big in a short amount of time, counting on nothing going wrong, right? That's the key is counting on nothing going wrong. We all have stress in our lives. Uh, these wonderful family holidays with, with uh, Thanksgiving come up and Christmas, we got this Norman Rockwell painting in our head, right? Everybody's going to come to visit mom and dad's house. We're going to sit around the table. It's going to be peaceful. We'll all have our ugly Christmas sweater on, right? And just looking, you know, shining, gleaming, little twinkle in the eye. It's great. The truth is we get there and someone's had major problems going on at work, whether they're stressed out and bringing it to the dinner table and the kids keep running off and we're trying to get everybody cleaned up to the table and the stress, right? Now we got to hit those sales. 
Anybody ever go to the Black Friday sales? Oh, my word. Do you remember when that associate for Walmart got got trampled in New York? And Walmart lost a lawsuit over that. And so part of my job at Walmart, I ended up traveling to New York for several years after that during Thanksgiving and working those sales as a representative from the main office. And I'm telling you, things are different in New York. Worse than here. I mean, people they trying to stop associates from staying on top of things, throwing merchandise to people, right? <laughs> trying not to kill somebody. Uh, stress, these times of stress. And we, we, we sometimes feel like we need a vacation to recover from our vacations. We used to take vacations to go to the diamond mines in South Arkansas because the boys loved rocks like I did. And Jen actually found a diamond down there. I mean, we you know went. But I would get so competitive, I'd be digging a hole up to here, you know? <laughs> Come back sore from vacation. I can't walk into the office. I'm hurting. I need a vacation for my vacation. Heard a story, much like we saw here, a stressed-out secretary talking to her boss in the middle of the holiday season. She said, when this rush is over, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown, and I deserve it, and nobody's taking it from me. Like as if that's a treat. I have time to have a nervous breakdown. There's a famous missionary left a great quote named Hudson Taylor about pressure. He said, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What matters is whether the pressure comes between us and God or drives us closer to him. And that's the truth of the matter. As a believer, as someone who is searching out the truth of this life through God's word, the truth is it's not so much that you're going to not have pressure if you're Christian. You're going to have pressure, maybe more. It's what it does to you or you allow it to do to you. So we're going to ask ourselves six questions today. It's going to help us point to Scripture about how Jesus wants us to handle stress. Uh, and, and that way we can uh, allow the pressure that you're under to push you closer to God, not further away from Him. The first question we're going to ask is, who am I? Now, I didn't choose the song today. didn't know until I got here what the worship team was singing, but what a great song to, to end with. I'm a child of God. Who am I? That's important to know because in this world, this world right now, there's a lot of people trying to figure out who they are. Maybe I'm not always who I thought I was. Maybe I'm not always who my parents said I was, uh, whether it be with gender or whatever it is, it's just who am I? John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Following Jesus, it's important. He wants you to know who you are because he knows exactly who he is. Jesus knew who he was and we need to know who we are. Do any of you know the super mom, right? The super mom that can't let anybody see the house dirty, can't let the see, see the kids misbehave. Everything must be perfect, right? At least from perception. At least visually, nothing can be wrong, right? We can't be seen that way. The problem with that is, you know, when you're trying to have the perfect kids, the perfect house, the perfect job, marriage, everything, and we don't want anybody to see our faults, the result is stress. See, it's just like that trip I took uh, up north, expecting nothing should go wrong. My life must be where nothing is going wrong, and because of that, we have stress. I think it's important that we really know that we're flawed. That the sinful nature truly exists and that we are flawed. You know, I've always been open and transparent to tell you that your pastor is flawed. 
I came in after this trip and everything's clipping along, but uh, while I was gone, there was the, the company that comes in and does the toilet paper holders and all this. And to save money, our building, you know, we, we tried to maximize space. And so our bathrooms end up with a minimum clearance for the stalls, right? Now, this doesn't sound important, but, but I'm telling you, if you're in a hurry to get in the bathroom, getting in there quickly is probably important, right? And so I told them specifically, do not put the pa- uh, toilet paper holders where you have to go between the door and the toilet paper holder to get in because then you have to turn sideways. Specifically said that, but I had to be gone. I couldn't be there. I come in and every one of them is mounted exactly where I said not to. So now there's screw holes where there's not, you know, if anybody knows me, OCD, right? Now we've messed up something, we scratched it, and I'm, I'm, I'm stressing. And I walk out of the bathroom and Don and Nathan were working on the sound system. And I was like, idiot, or something like that, right? <laughs> I think Don thought maybe I was talking to him. Because, well, you okay, Pastor? You right? <laughs> you need help? You know, in a moment of wrong expectations, I couldn't be there. The guy's doing what he thought I was saying doing it on the phone and so I slander his character in a moment of stress because my expectations were that nothing would be wrong go wrong while I was gone and that's where the problem starts you know we don't have to put a mask on in front of people if we know who we are in Christ but we also know that we are temporary here we're aliens passing through we know who he identifies us as as children of God then some of that we can just say, you know what, that's, the, that's just the way this world is right now. But I don't have to let it change me the wrong way. Know who you are. You are God's person made for a purpose. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That, that means that who you may think you are, when you're away from the Lord, you may have a perception of who you are, but who God's created you be is a chosen person, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that God has chosen you. And, and that's why we can see some people will let talents that God's given will shine, and you might see the person that becomes a famous rock star, but they're using it against God's principles. And their life falls apart. And then you got the person who uses their talents for the Lord, and they flourish and grow. But here's the reason why we need to know this. Verse 9 goes on, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not to be proclaimed as something magnificent for our own sake or for our own glory, but because God who has created us deserves the glory and honor for it. And verse 10 goes on, once who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy see you know god had observed his people all through history from adam and eve the children of israel of of forgetting who they were forgetting who created them getting themselves a mess getting themselves into bondage getting themselves in a lot of trouble and he said you were not a people when you were when you were doing this when you were stressed out and letting letting the the world change you instead of you changing the world and but now when you have followed me you are a chosen people So you don't have to put on a front. You're loved by God. Second question you have to ask yourself is, who am I trying to please? I could preach a whole sermon to myself on this one. Anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, are you a people pleaser? Do you tend to really worry about what people think to the point that you will do everything you can to keep everybody happy? But Jesus knew who he was trying to please. In John chapter 5, verse 30, 
He says, I can of myself do nothing. Now that seems strange. Jesus, the Son of God, saying, I of myself cannot do anything because he is a united front with the Father. He is there in a natural body, but still fully God. And he is depending on the, the power and the might of his Father in heaven. He says, my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus wasn't trying to please himself. He wasn't trying to please other people. He focused on pleasing God. And, and here's the, the thing about this. Later, his father did say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You, you see, there's the start of it. Jesus saying, I'm, I am here to please my father. That's who I'm worried about. And the father responds, in him I'm well pleased. There's a school of thought in some churches that we don't need to please God, that that the grace is so sufficient that there's no need to please him. Now, I'll agree that we don't need to work for his approval. In other words, that God is not going to love us based on what we do for him. He loves us anyway. But we can see from Scripture, Jesus gave the example, God wants to be able to say, in you I am well pleased. If, if Jesus, his own son, it was important that God the Father recognize that he's pleased in him, then he wants the same for us. I've learned something, though. You can't please everybody. If it's not God you're trying to please, then this is a losing battle. You can't please everybody. In the church especially, if you make one change, the people who are wanting that change to come are very happy. But the people that like the things the way they were, they aren't going to be happy. You know, I hear people say, I, I like small churches. I get that. There's things that are comforting and nice about small churches. But in that mindset, when we look at Scripture, when they were adding to their numbers daily because there was success in ministry, then you got to be careful about that us for no more mentality, right? I just want to keep it with us. I don't want to impact anybody else's lives. I don't want to see other people come to know Jesus, come to this church. I want it to stay like it is. I like the color of the carpet. I like the color of the chairs. I like the way. I don't want to move. I don't want to go to a new building. I don't want to do any of that. I like the small church. That's why I come here. But there'll be other people who say, you know what? We stay here too long. We're going to die. We need room to grow. You're never going to make everybody happy. It can be that way in our families as well, especially blended families, where a torn woman trying to please her new husband and her, her children and her new husband's children, super stressful. That's why so many second and, and third marriages end in divorce. It doesn't mean they have to. It doesn't mean that God can't do a miracle there. But there's major pressure because of the expectations of things not changing or, or staying the same. But who are you trying to please? You need to make it God. The third question is, what am I trying to accomplish? That's important too. I, I challenge folks many times when they come to any church is you have to figure out what you're trying to accomplish to be here. If it's to grow in your knowledge of God, that's great. But see, when you grow in your knowledge of God and his word, there's greater responsibility. What are those responsibilities? Well, once you know the truth about you're supposed to go and make disciples, then you should be going to make disciples. Once it says you need to no longer uh, stay with the, the milk that you started on, but you need to get onto the meat of the word, you need to study more of God's word and grow in the knowledge of him. So there's responsibility with that. So knowing what you're trying to accomplish is important because some people can get in the trap of thinking following God is just coming and always listening to the Word of God but never doing. 
always listening and absorbing and, and, and eating, but not producing something from, from that relationship. John 8.14 says, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. Now listen to this carefully and think about what he's saying in this. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, He's saying, even if there's no one else that can say what I'm getting ready to tell you about, where I'm headed, where I've been, where I'm headed, I can. And it's true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Folks, this is very important in your walk with the Lord because if you don't know where you're going, you'll wander in the wilderness forever. If you aren't clear on what God has called you to do and what he has set you to do, You'll wonder forever. Many people will try to just find a church and find a church, but they don't really know what they're trying to find a church for. They don't know what they're trying to accomplish. They don't know what their purpose is there. And so it just becomes confusing. And then it becomes about whether you liked, you know, this program or you like that program or this person said hi, this one did. You get very confused because you don't have a clear sense of God has sent me here. I have a purpose for being. That's what I am here to do. And you stick with it. It goes for the same thing in, in ministry. You know, if I am not set on what God has spoke to my heart of where new song has been and where new song is supposed to go, then every person that comes in with a great idea about what they saw at another church or whatever, you know, would have me running and chasing rabbit trails. It'd be so confusing here. We really have no idea what we're about. It's like the analogy I've used before that Pastor Jim gave me. It's, you know, if you take a blank piece of paper and like the copy machines that weren't working, but you take it in one that works, right? And you put it in and make a copy of a blank piece of paper. Whether you see it or not, there'll be a flaw on, on the copy. If you take that copy and put it back through and make a copy of that one, there'll be another flaw. And no matter how good the copier is, eventually you will end up with a smudged, probably near black piece of paper. Because we copied a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And, and so what, what happens many times is we get stressed in church situations because we aren't really looking at a copy of what Jesus meant the church to be. What we're looking at is a copy of what everybody else copied off of something they thought church is supposed to be. So, so you know, it comes down to, well, I, I grew up, my grandma's church was like this, and this church was like this, and so we've got to do it that way. And we get stressed out trying to figure out how to serve Jesus as a body together because we're just copying some other copy. You have to stay focused on his purpose. So this is what it comes down to. There's priorities or pressures. Either you'll be motivated by priorities or by pressures. For procrastinators, let me give you an example you'll relate to, right? The test at school is a priority, right? Because you need to graduate. Now, you can either be motivated by that priority that I need to study ahead and be ready for that test, or you can wait till the pressure of it's the night before and you know you're going to fail if you don't do some studying. Which one's more stressful? The pressure, right? Not the priority. Why can you, how can you look at these guys that are CEOs of big companies? They've got this huge amount of, of responsibility and, and they seem so well polished and refined and they can handle They have to, if they're going to be successful in that, be motivated by the priorities that they have, not by the pressures. The pressures will sink you. The pressures will crush you. So people will pressure you if you let them. 
see, in relationships, often we resort to the easier way of getting things that we want. Some may say manipulation or, or pressure, right? I can try to pressure you to love me, but it's really not going to be real love in the end. But, but if I let you be a priority in my life, I begin to love you because you are important. You're first to me. And that's what Jesus wants in our relationship with him is that we make him a priority, not a pressure. Now you're sitting here feeling guilty because you can't seem to figure out how to live this Christian life because you're doing it on your own. So you just let the pressures wait till things are bad and that pushes you to him. Wait till things are difficult and then that pushes you to be a part of a body of Christ. He's saying, I want you to make a priority in your life that beyond anything else, good, bad, like the marriage vows, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part, but with Jesus until death puts us permanently together. Right? So... So it's pressures are priorities. And many times we run into stress in our lives because we're letting pressures, ha, uh, pressures drive us, not the priorities. The fourth question is, what are my limits? This is also important to know. I've found out a lot about my limits this year, and it's an ongoing learning lesson. With age, with health, with more responsibility, more limits right? Mark 3, 14 and 15 says, then he appointed 12 that he might be with them. Now listen, he appointed 12 people that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sickness and cast out demons. Now, did Jesus have the power to heal sickness and cast out demons? Yes. And w- but what was he doing with that power? He was giving them, sending out with the power to heal sickness and cast out demons. What Jesus is saying is, I can do it on my own. I'm not meant to. This is not the model I want for the church or for your family. What I'm saying is, I'm selecting those to go carry that load and spread out the, press, the, the, the responsibilities and to do this work as a team. And what happens in churches that can stagnate the growth, that can literally kill a church, is when everybody keeps this mentality of it's a top-down ministry. That, that the top does all the ministry and we come and just be the cheerleader section for the top. It's not Jesus' model. It's not intended to be that way. I'll remember my first year. This has been seven years this January that I'll be pastor here. I've been on the church board before that and been here since it started 10 years ago. But this January will be seven years. But my first year, I remember getting ready to go preach and a lady that's not here anymore stopped me as she came out of the women's bathroom and says, Pastor, this is like five minutes before service. Pastor, the, the toilet's plugged. I need you to plunge it. And I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not too good to plunge a toilet, but now I cannot remember anything about what I was going to preach. It blew me away. I, I thought, you know, um, I'm not too good for that, but this is just the timing, right? And, and what I learned is some of, us, uh, some of us may slip into this because in our lives, we, we expect things to be done for us, which is a way of the enemy, whereas God's teaching us to be equipped to go out and do the work of the ministry, right? And so if we have this mentality that someone else is always going to do it for us, it stunts our growth spiritually. It stunts the growth in our family to, to mature. And, and a lot of that begins to cause stress because things aren't working as they were designed. Even Jesus, the Son of God, understood that he couldn't do it alone. He involved others. And, and here's the thing that you have to learn. I'm going to speak to those who have an opportunity to lead others. This was a helpful lesson I learned. In the beginning, if someone wasn't meeting my expectations of what I needed, you know, in ministry or when I was at Walmart, 
I just thought I need a different person. And I started realizing as I grew as a, a, a leader that, you know, until I can honestly say I've done everything I can to help equip that person and grow them for whatever responsibility they need, then it's not another person. It's have I done everything? And at that question, I then have to ask, have they done everything to take the opportunities I've afforded for them to grow? And this is the same conversation God's having with us. He's saying, um, I've done everything I can and given you all that you need to grow and flourish and mature, but what are you going to do with it now? Judas, one of the 12, had the same opportunity as the others, but in the end it says Judas got what he deserved when he turned on Jesus, right? And so Jesus done everything he could to give Judas that opportunity, and Judas took that and turned away. And so there is a responsibility on us to to not expect things to be done for us, but to take what God's given us and to grow in that and, and to begin to do the work that he's called us to. Be realistic about your limits. Don't try to do it all. The statement I've heard before is, if you want a job done right, do it yourself. And as a person with, uh, my wife diagnosed me with OCD, with, with that in mind, anybody that's worked around me, especially on this project, knows that that might come out of my mouth. If you want it done right, do it yourself. Truth is, there's probably half a dozen ways to do it right. But we get in our mind it has to be done a certain way. Jesus never made that statement, though. In fact, he chose 12 ordinary men to change the world. I mean, Peter, the way he started out, he missed, he missed with a sword and chopped a guy's ear off. I think he's aiming for his neck, got his knee, ear, right? I'm sure Jesus at that point would say, say, man, look what I got to work with. This is terrible. Okay, I'm going to scrap Peter. I've got to find another one, right? But no, he looked at Peter and thought, okay, I know, I know you've got a ways to go, Peter. I'll stick the ear on for you this time, right? Since you don't have the faith, put it back yourself. But later on, I'm going to expect you to be able to put the ear on yourself. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. When we miss, when we, we think we're doing something right for the Lord, but we got overzealous and we messed something up, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, you know, I'm going to put the ear on for you. And I'm going to show you, but I expect you to do it next time. So many times we get caught up in the fact that I failed the Lord this way. I failed him this way. I can't seem to get right. And we give up and say, well, that's just who I am. God's going to just have to fix things for me every time. God's saying, I need you to also pick yourself up. Take what I've given you and grow. But we have to recognize our limits. We need him to help us grow. We can't do it on our own. It was because Jesus knew he needed others to accomplish the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done the Heavenly Father's will. So he recognized those limits. The fifth question is, when should I rest? When you're stressed out, when you're letting the world stress you out and it's pushing you away from the Lord, you need to ask yourself, when should I rest? Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they had found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now listen, Jesus didn't make mistakes, but I think you read this and what it's saying is, is that you know, he thought he was getting away to a solitary place, and they still found him. The, 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 the clue here is, is that every one of us needs a place to rest. Every one of us needs a break from the pressures and the things that are trying to get into our lives and the stress. And it's not healthy to not have that time to get away. 
And even Jesus had to get away. And even yet, his disciples still found a way to find him, right? Mark 6, chapter 30 through 32 says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Jesus was saying, look, I'm trying to show you. I've got to get away and rest. You've got to get away and rest. You're telling me all these great things you've done. That's great, but you need to rest. And some of you are pushing so hard sometimes to do things, even for God, that that you're getting yourself in a spot where the stress level's rising because it's not healthy. I've been there. I'm preaching to the choir. Glenda's looking away. I'm like, I'm trying not to send conviction your way, Pastor. But, uh, you know, she's on me all the time about you got to rest. And it's true. Things can get out of whack. You can start responding poorly to your brothers and sisters in Christ and unbelievers when you don't take that time. To follow these examples, so those questions are, who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm an alien passing through. I'm a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, right? Who am I trying to please? God and God only. I can't make everybody happy all the time. Not even my children, not my spouse. I can't make them happy all the time. Let me say something to that too. Some folks, if you are in a marriage, uh, if you're in a marriage where the spouse is not a believer, you will never have better opportunity to point them to the Lord than to stand your ground on pleasing God before you try to please them. We've watched time and time again where a spouse who's trying to be gentle and follow Jesus' way and another spouse trying to pull them away and they bend to those pressures thinking maybe if I just keep the arguments down about church or about God, if I just keep that down, maybe they'll see my, my love for Jesus and for them and that will help. No, listen, they need to see you stand, uh, stay solid in your commitment to following the Lord first. It needs to be a priority and in that example is the only hope that they will see that a relationship with God is the answer to what is, is hurting them. What am I trying to accomplish? I have a clear vision of what God has called me to do. I have to listen and pray and ask him, God, what are you wanting me to accomplish? What are my limits and where should I rest? And number six, the last question is who do I serve? Well, that's easy, Pastor CJ. We already talked about, you know, um, we've, we've already established that uh, Jesus is our priority. But this is different because this is the action part. Who do I serve? If you're going to talk about what, who I am, who am I trying to please, what am I trying to accomplish, what are my limits, what, am I, what is that leading up to? It's leading up to putting you in a healthy spot to serve. And you need to know who you serve. I mentioned this in first service. I'm, I'm 44 years old, about to be 45. In my mind, I'm 25 <coughs> with 20 years experience. But I even remember when no place was open on Sundays, no business. Some of the younger people really, like I'm talking about gas stations, like you need to get your gas on Saturday because nobody's going to be open on Sunday. You know, people can argue all about they want that this was never a Christian nation. And I'm not going to say the whole nation was Christian. I never probably was that. But, but that, that this started with a premise that we are going to serve God as a nation. And we are not going to force you to serve God, but as a nation, that's our priorities. And that's like a church or any other organization. I know Christian companies that, hey, we are going to be closed on Sunday. 
And I remember my mom teaching me when I was young that if I will always honor God first and I will not let them work me on a Sunday at a job or work me at a time when I'm supposed to be with the body of Christ. But I'll have a day set aside for the Lord. He'll honor that. And in my jobs, I'll find favor. And, I'll, and I found it to be true every time. And when I worked at Walmart corporate office, I, I let that slide because they'd have me travel on a weekend sometimes. I'd be, you know, going and I'd say, I, I, you know, that's just it. I got to have this job and that's our expectation. But I'll never forget that one of the people that worked under me was Jehovah's Witness, which I can give you plenty of uh, evidence is a cult, is, is not a, a, a uh, follow, follower of the true Jesus Christ. But they made allowances for that person and their job to be able to make sure they honored their commitments to their church. Sometimes as Christians, we think we, we, we get stressed out thinking something bad's going to happen if we follow Jesus, right? Because the other people who don't follow Jesus have the power. We have to remember who has the power, who we serve. I serve him first. And listen, this is not for condemnation. I'm not expecting like in myself, for myself, that you go and make some major changes in your life and your job. I'm just stating to you what I learned, okay? I'm just stating what I observed. Well, the world's changed. You're right. It has changed. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's changed. But what I'm saying is, is we have to ask ourselves as a body of believers is who's changing more for the good, the church or the world? We're, we're, what are we doing? Are we following their example or are we following our own? And I'm telling you, when you step your foot down and say, I'm going to serve the Lord. He is my priority. I'm an alien passing through. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm chosen nation. I am who he says I am. I'm not, not forsaken. I'm chosen. We're all going to serve somebody and we're all going to worship something. You are created to serve and to worship and you will do it. A non-believer may uh, worship their favorite uh, music group. Uh, they, they serve their job endlessly, thinking that will get them somewhere. We all will serve and worship something, somebody. It's just who. And Jesus offers a way of peace. He offers a way that will radicalize your life, give you purpose, give you drive, and draw you closer and closer to what he's created you to be. A transformed life. Does that mean you'll never feel stress if you're a Christian? No way. You're going to feel stress. I can tell you from experience. But his way is best. God will help you through the stuff of this life, give you an eternal reward in heaven like you've never would have believed. It can be stressful, but he's there. And so we have to keep asking ourselves, who am I am? Who am I? Uh, you know, get that straight. Who am I trying to please? What am I trying to accomplish? What are my limits? When should I rest? And who do I serve? You know, that might have been a funny video we watched in the beginning. And some of those are, are dated, a little bit old. But you've seen the current climate of the world we live in. And people are stressed out. And this isn't one of the questions, but I'll just say this. There's a time when I used to hear this said all the time is, what about you stands out from the rest of this world? What about you? What about you? Do people look at you and say, what is different about Ken Ferguson? You know? What's different about Beth? What's different about Danny? The difference is, is the stress that we have in our lives, hopefully, points us to God, pushes us closer 
whereas the stress in their lives is pulling farther away. And in that, my friends, that is the, that is the power that God has given you where people say, I need to talk to you. I'm going through some stuff in my life, and I need to find out why you handle stress the way you do. I need to find out how you're handling this layoff at job like it's, you know, like you know, now you got a vacation, right? Hey, aren't you stressed about your bills? Aren't you stressed about this? God's my provider. He's always been faithful. His promises are true. And I'm heading someplace anyway where I don't have to worry about the bills and I don't have to worry about the stresses. And I can offer that to you through his word. Not me personally, but he can offer that kind of relationship with you. And yes, you'll still have the stress. You'll still have to be out looking for that job, but you know that your God is faithful. And who else can offer that? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word, which is always true. Lord, no matter how many times we may try to challenge it with our actions, go against what you've already said is true. But God, to this morning, we pray that the strategy in which you brought us together today, Lord, the, the strategy of the words we sang, which came together with the word, the, the message, and now has come together with what is going on in our hearts. But Lord, not one person here today is here without some form of brokenness. That God, each person here today lays their head down at night on their pillow with, with a heaviness of some kind. It might be for themselves or for family members or for loved ones or for financial situations or for their business, whatever it is, God. But not one person here is free of the pressure that stress is trying to bring in their life. But God, today, through your word, we are ready and willing. I pray each one is ready and willing to let it push them closer to you and not separate them from you. That this morning they're ready to leave it here and walk away free. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to pray in a moment uh, a prayer for you. And if you need to come to these altars and leave something here, if you need to come and say, I'm going to come up here and I'm about, and in the spiritual realm, I'm leaving this stress that has been weighing on me, whether it's for me or someone else, I'm going to leave it here and I'm going to walk away free. If you need to turn around, just use your chair for an altar or because of physical restraints, you just going to sit there and make that your altar. But don't leave here today without leaving those burdens for the Lord to remove and set you free. I'm going to pray. Jesus, right now is the moment where your Holy Spirit has been working on us for quite some time before today, for this moment. And some are carrying burdens. They, they may lay them down and keep picking them back up. God, we know you're faithful and you want to take them from them. The stress, they want to, you want to take that and turn it for the good. You want to draw them to you. And I pray right now as they're praying their own prayer, God, they sense your presence. They, their eyes are open to the things that are going on in their lives, God, that you give them clarity. Jesus, you draw them closer to you. prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you. If you're going to have to go, I just uh, want to remind you this Tuesday night, ladies and ladies Bible study at 630 here at the church. It's chapter four of the
book that they've been going through. If you've not been involved with the ladies' meeting, you still come. If you don't have the book, you're not going to be left out of anything. You just need to come 6.30. And then Wednesday night, also 6.30, we meet again for Worship the Word. We love you. God bless you. Keep praying for victory this week for the new campus.